Welcome to the Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group. Going to pick up where we left off last week, looking at the license data, and I had a little time to move the, the lab result collection forward. So would have, be happy to share that with you. That way it's documented how we did it because it's a non-trivial process. But Ruth, I know I tried to get some license data extracted from this big giant PDF of licenses. It's funny because we're so, so close to just being able to upload that file and you know let chat gpt make sense of it but it, just not there yet there's just i don't know the too many pages 80 pages um so had to do with the the old fashioned way and this is where i like to keep reinvoking the the story of you know john henry versus the steam engine because it just seems so fitting with what we're doing you know we're all some of the best at what we do or at least we have really really high comparative advantages and you know all of a sudden there's this you know new revolutionary tool that's kind of you know threatening our whole line of work but i don't know i i'm always kind of open to embrace things like that but luckily we're still employed because uh, they're not perfect yet, but anywho, I'll quit rambling about that because it's a little off topic, but anywho, the point is one way or the other, we were able to get some licensed data from Oregon for you, Ruth, and I think that was the first time we'd had a look at the production side there. I know we may have had retail licenses, but were you able to glean anything from looking at the production side? They had they had all the licensees. So you have the grow, the cultivate. Um, it, that's the same thing. The grow, the retail, and the processing. Um, and it turns out that uh, they're kind of not unexpectedly a pretty concentrated market. You have a couple of guys at the top who have uh, tens or more of licenses, and I'm still kind of working on it. Uh, but it's it. It's it's similar in structure. It's actually if you look at the the older states, they're all more relatively kind of similar. And it's it's amazing to me. And and I I've spent so much time looking at cross state differences and looking at data and use patterns and and uh, cannabis uh, commission kind of the way that they're implementing the programs across the different states. And there's such a difference between essentially the old kind of legacy cannabis states, meaning Washington, Oregon, California, and Colorado, um, and all of the other states. And kind of the, the Eastern states tend to be much more, kind of like the East is, is kind of much more hierarchical and structured and tame in a sense. Whereas the, the West tends to be much more of a wild West and they're just kind of, you know, throwing it out there and you're seeing a lot of like in the wild West, a lot of um, uh, domination by select groups. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I've been watching this over time and it's not immediate and it, it is evolving. And every time I look at the data, there are definite changes in the way things are going. And I think that, 
you know, we live in this, this brave new world and there's so much technology and people are seeing things everywhere uh, across the globe at, in real time, which makes us, it gives us a sense that things are changing really rapidly. Things can change on a dime and that everything's going to go kind of in a direction that we expect it to go. But in real life, there's so many frictions that prevent things from moving very quickly. And it, I mean, it constantly amazes me how long it takes to get anything done. And so you have a lot of people who, you know, for years now have been saying essentially overnight, the industry is going to essentially monopolize. Uh, and it might get there to that point eventually, but it's going to take plenty of time. Um, so that's, you know, I'll get off my soapbox there. <laughs> I'd like your analysis of this because it's, it's kind of, it's definitely what, what I've observed too. I know it's not, you know, completely hands off and there's maybe, you know, not as many licenses as when when would like um or you know there's a lot of people out there who are searching for a license i think and they're tough to get but for whatever reason a, a lot of the state the western states maybe it's the old pioneering mentality the they're a little bit more hands off on the businesses which which you wouldn't actually like expect right out of the gate whereas for whatever reason on the east coast it um it just kind of seems like they're like i was talking to somebody and they're like oh yes you know um i think they were talking about cannabis expansion in north carolina if that ever happened or maybe they're talking about hemp I mean, they're just saying you know it's pretty typical in the southern states for just you know there to be just a handful of large agriculture companies that just you know control the vast majority of agriculture and so from their point of view it's very atypical to have a hundred cultivators so even though like say in washington state you know i'm sure there'd be more people who would like to get licensed from the east coast perspective that's just unheard of to have you know 100 to 400 cultivators so they're just it doesn't even sound like they're even like considering that um and we'll actually kind of look at that today and maybe some of the implications because the, some of the data i collected was for florida yeah which is a state where there's just a handful of producers um so no. i actually you, you had a thought well, the other thing that I wanted to say that, um, and again, this is some, something I've thought a lot about. I've looked at like sales per capita across the different states. And you would think that, you know, by the time that you get kind of full rollout in all the states, that you should essentially see kind of all of it, all of the levels across the different states converging to kind of the average. So suppose, you know, $100 per capita or whatever everywhere and they're going to start at different places depending on their you know the way that the rollout occurs so you have some that are down at like a dollar two dollars per capita and then you have some that are maybe a couple hundred dollars per capita but over time you would expect that again as the rollouts rollouts occur they would all kind of converge to kind of a similar level and that's absolutely not the case there are big differences across the states 
And when you think about it, there's, there's, it's not a coincidence that cannabis was legalized first in the states that it was legalized in first, that in the West, these tend to be the states where they have different cultures, they have different attitudes, and they're more open to it. So over the long run, they're probably going to continue to have higher per capita consumptions than other states where the rollout comes much later. Because, and the rollout comes later because it's just not like the same priority for them. And, and it kind of all ties together. It's very endogenous. And I, to me, I find that really, really fascinating. What, yeah, what comes to my mind is, I mean, for whatever reason, I've been focusing on Florida. I think that's just because that's the latest source of data. But it's just funny to observe there because, right, there's the, I think it's the attorney general who's, you know, fighting tooth and nail for the the vote on adult use or recreational cannabis to not make it to the ballot. And it's, you know, I just can't imagine, uh, you know, seeing such pushback in some of the Western states. So, so you're right, just the, the whole culture's different. Um, and then the laws are definitely different. But the, the laws reflect the culture is the point that I'm trying to make, which is exactly what you would expect. Yeah, that's an interesting, I mean, yeah, you would expect that, but for some reason I hadn't really yeah. thought about it that way. So yeah, and that's why I say that, um, I keep saying like uh, to each their own and you know, I even though of course you know i work in the cannabis industry and you know i'm uh, in favor of people being able to engage in cannabis business if they desire at the end of the day it's to each their own and you know if for whatever reason you know people in florida just strongly oppose recreational then that's ultimately up to them right because i'm not like a citizen of florida but uh I don't know. Hopefully, they'll at least be able to to vote on it and uh, let their voices be heard. But Candace, you had a thought, comment, question. Um, well, I do have a home in Florida. I'll be uh, traveling there soon. But um, my understanding too with Florida is that, I mean, you're right. You know, as far as like the sheriff, if you have a cannabis flag in the front of your home, right, and they stop by, you know, there's not a lot they can do if you have a medical card. Could you just say, look, Ron DeSantis sold me this weed, right? But um, I think that uh, there's a lot of hesitation right now for medical patients and or uh, ordinary folks such as myself to um, get behind this tree true leaf bill, right, um, because there's no homegrown on it. So you have like really two bills being passed around right now to medical patients. And we're really all being told to not support the True Leave bill because True Leave just wants you to be able to buy state weed, right? They do not want uh, the serfs to be able to grow their own. And um, so I think that too is why there's a bit of confusion in Florida. But I'll be heading down there and I'll be, you know, uh, you know, getting some momentum behind the bill that will allow for homegrown. But um, it is it, it is pretty odd in Florida because, you know, there's not a lot the sheriff can do. If you're buying your weed from Ron DeSantis and you have a medical card, then, uh, you know, even though the sheriff does want to arrest you, they can't, you know. And, and John Morgan, too, of Morgan & Morgan is completely behind it as well. 
So it is very interesting in Florida right now. That's all. Thank you. I, I had a funny witticism, but uh, I, it, 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 I skipped the mind, but it must not have been uh, too, too, too funny. Um, Oh, <laughs> oh well. Uh, what were what were we just talking about? You actually had a, a pretty good comment in there, Candice. Uh, can you try to jog my memory real quick? Uh, Absolutely. So there are two bills, Keegan, and and of course, you know, as a medical patient in Florida as well as Massachusetts, um, there are two bills. One is uh, that True Leaf has spent, you know. I, I don't know if it's uh, like 50, I don't know, it's, it's in the millions to promote. And that's the bill that does not support homegrown. There's another one that uh, medical patients are, are also um, putting um, uh, forward and for the 2024 ballot. And that is the one that does support homegrown. So a lot of patients are being told do not back this recreational bill um, promoted by True League. Now, you know, I'm not saying I'm not backing anything or, or doing that myself because I'm not really sure, you know, because I'm not a Florida voter. I'm only a snowbird with a home in Florida. And um, but it's my understanding that uh, that um, people that, you know, regular people such as myself that should not be promoting true leaves bill for recreational marijuana because it doesn't support home grow. Whereas there's a second bill and I can put it into the Slack channel where, where um, medical patients or regular people are allowed to grow their own homegrown. And that's the only way to get safe cannabis, you know, because I know in Massachusetts that you can't get, there's no disclosure with regard to the growth hormones, the bio sludge, they're growing that uh, cannabis with the pesticides, the herbicides, whether it's radiated or not. I mean, we all know I went back and forth with Curaleaf for over five months and then, last year, right? And then find out they were radiating the weed all the time. And also, you know, Keegan too, you know, these medical uh, groups in Florida, they're constantly uh, showing pictures of powdery mildew in their weed, right? And, and, and so I feel though, that it is important that Florida citizens on the 2024 ballot do uh, vote for home grow, because that's really the only way you're going to have safe cannabis, I think, you know, or, you know, maybe the had home grow would push these state growers into safer cannabis. I mean, look at Massachusetts, you know, you have this young trimmer that dies, right? And, and nobody can seem to get the metric data showing the pesticides, herbicides, you know, et cetera, that might've been in all these batches that that young woman was trimming previous to her passing away. I don't know. There's a little bit of a movement in Florida, though, and I'm going to get reengaged in a couple of weeks. You've raised a thousand and one good points, and I think that's, of course, the point, right? Everybody wants to bring their best um, points to the table and put them on the table. What, what you jogged my memory of is this is, I guess, the reason this conversation is so important is I'm kind of on 
the side of the fence. It took me a long, long time to get to this side of the fence that because I've been a unfortunately a perfectionist my whole life, which is not a good trait, trying my best to get rid of that. But basically, I try not to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. So I kind of want to say that I'll take any inch forward, even if it's not perfect. So I'm almost on the side that even if the recreational laws aren't perfect, I would like a step in that direction. But the the counterpoint is, well, actually, hold on a second. Let's look at states like Washington. You know, basically, they held off on allowing home grow initially. And now it's, it, it may, I don't know, it may never really happen. It, I mean, maybe in the long-term future, but there's not a lot of support for it because you already have adult use. The number of people who actually want to engage in home grow cannabis, I mean, as a proportion of the population, it's actually small, right? Like at the largest, it may be two to 5% of the population. And that's being really, really generous generous you know it really may actually be down to like 0.2 percent of the population and so it's a really controversial thing for politicians to pass because the you know the people who are opposed to cannabis will you know they have their, their legitimate concerns they say oh you know we don't want this to be easier to access by children or we don't want our home prices to go down. I think that's the big one. Um, but I don't think uh, there's too much evidence for it. But long story short is it's a really, really tricky thing to pass after the fact because it's tough to like re-get momentum for it. So I kind of understand that. Um, so I think it's uh, up for debate, right? do you compromise and allow adult use or do you hold off for a better bill so that way you don't get locked in to to not necessarily the best policy i agree and 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 you know also too i i can't vote in florida because i'm a massachusetts citizen that you know just stays at my house in florida in the winter right and, um, and whatever the voters in Florida uh, vote for, I'm behind them all the way. You know, even if uh, the truly bill gets in, at least it will be recreational, right? And, you know, we can try to uh, get more uh, COA data. And, uh, but, um, so either way, it, it's, it's a win-win either way it goes. And you're right though, too, because if the vote is held off, right? Because everybody is, you know, the few people are trying to uh, get homegrown. You know that would be a bummer too so you know i don't know it, it's up to the voters of florida but i do think that uh either bill is better than no bill passing so the silver lining is that people are talking about potentially legalizing adult use cannabis right and so i think we can't lose sight of that that 
20 years ago, that was not up for discussion, like not even remotely. Um, I mean, 10 years ago, it was in Florida, it wasn't even really up for the question, up for debate. So I think just the fact that it's up for debate, huh, that's interesting. So, but I mean, even medical marijuana is frowned upon still in Florida. You know, you have a Florida sheriff still arresting people with medical marijuana cards. You know, it, it's they're starting to come up uh, with the times, right? But, you know, it's really hard for them because they've been told by the government that, you know, only criminals and wanton women and what have you do cannabis, right? It's hard for them to uh, come around to the fact that Ron DeSantis himself, the state of Florida is selling cannabis to medical marijuana patients. It's, it's you know, the sheriff's office is actually starting to come around to it. You know, there's not, you know, like, you know, it, it's just kind of odd, you know. Well, that's because uh, their buddies retire and get off the force and get a, get a prescription. <laughs> so, but anyways, I'll... well, I think too, it's because medical marijuana patients, such as myself, aren't really going to take a lot of grief from the sheriff because they have a cannabis flag in the front of their home, or they smell a weed, you know, or or they're smoking on the front porch. You know, it's like we have a card, we're buying it from Ron DeSantis, and he's your boss, so leave us alone. But I digress. But anyways, I, I think we hopefully had a good laugh and also brought up some some tough points. But once again, let's uh for other people to debate what we can at least do is calculate some statistics. So I would like to get to those momentarily, unless Yasha and then also welcome to the group, uh, Jillian. I didn't want to just ignore you. So sorry uh, that we've just been having this. No, no, you're fine. But you're welcome to you're welcome to chime in and uh, introduce yourself if you want. Um, it's a meetup after all, so everybody's welcome to to share their ideas. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what would happen if I came to this. Um, yeah. Um, hi, I'm Jillian. I live in Oregon. Um, I'm just a laid off data engineer looking for projects to do while I try to sort out that laid off business. Um, and yeah, here I am. Well, in a, in a good, good, good humor, uh, I guess chat GPT struck again, but it's okay because like I said, there's, there's plenty of good opportunities. We don't have, um, I kind of mentioned the the metaphor of John Henry earlier. We 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 can still find some some good opportunities for us ourselves. And in fact, I'm going to about to introduce you to some really cool things because actually, why don't I actually go ahead and do that? Unless Yasha, if you have any thoughts, I why don't I, Julian? Since you brought this up and you said, oh, we need an opportunity for a data scientist. Why don't I show you here this cool opportunity? Okay, so I'm going to share my screen with you, and then hopefully we can hopefully didn't freeze. Okay, okay, okay. So what's going on? We were just talking about Florida, and. Um, and um, 
let's just start uh, looking at some of these. You know, so these are various labs in Florida. And the medical patients there have been really, really demanding about getting certificates. Um, because they, you know, they're, here, I'm trying to find a, here, we'll look at this one because this is uh, one of the ones that I've collected lab results for, for. So there's various labs in Florida, and this is one of them, Terp Life Labs. Just, I just kind of picked one, not entirely randomly. The reason I um, picked this one is they make their COAs available to clients. And this is something that we strongly encourage. As Candace mentioned, so let's actually start looking at these. Um, the cannabis products are screened for various contaminants and, you know, you know, it's pertinent for, you know, a consumer to, to double check those, um, in, in particular, you want, you would love to get a COA like this one where not only do you see the safety summary, but you can also get a breakdown of all the pesticides that were screened, as well as all of the other contaminants, say heavy metals, microtoxins, microbials, but also it's it doesn't hurt to just get some other interesting analyses like the water activity and moisture content. They can be, a, the moisture content in particular can be a good tool in your back pocket because what's actually common place is you see they're reporting the numbers in both what's called wet weight and dry weight. And dry weight factors out the moisture content. Um, so um, to go from dry weight to wet weight, you divide by one plus the moisture content. Um, but anyways, anyways, you probably may know about certificates of analysis. If not, hopefully that's a little quick synopsis. But ba 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 ba. But long story short, where can actually we find these? Um, I thought we could just find these, um, oh, here we are. So here's the, the URL we want. So basically, thought, comment, question. I was just wondering, you were talking about moisture content and that's really essential for getting the accurate, uh, statistics. And I've seen um, in certain areas where I believe it, there's uh, in order uh, you're, you're required by the state to conduct 
uh, certain analyses and present them in the COAs and different states have different requirements. And I believe here in California, I believe uh, moisture content is one of the tests that's required to be done. And I was asking Yasha if, where he's working, if that's also the case that they're required to do tests for moisture. So in Massachusetts, it's not mandatory, but I think every lab or almost every lab does it and adjusts the um, flower data accordingly. In states where it is required, uh, just to put some numbers out there, in states where it is required uh, for moisture adjustments, the average moisture is around 10%. In states where moisture test is required, but you're not allowed to adjust based on moisture, the average is around 6% because growers over dry their products before sending them in for testing so that the products end up being more. Right. Do And have you, uh, Keegan, if you scroll back up to the top, I've never seen a COA that reports both the, you know, as the as received and at dry weight. Is that common in your experience, Yasha? Uh, it, it's lab by lab. I think we do this also because each, so in states where moisture is to be reported or, or uh, moisture adjustment, moisture adjusted results are to be reported, uh, that slightly but purposefully distorts the results, but everyone knows by how much. In states where it's not allowed, uh, the growers are the ones that attempt to manipulate it. Um, but I, I think actually in states where it is mandatory, for labs that provide both, that, that gives the most accurate results. Thank you. In terms of how many labs do it, I'm not sure. This was actually a controversy in Florida. You know, check the, the news cycle, but I don't remember which ones, but a handful of labs got dinged for reporting just dry weight on their certificates. And the Florida law, I think, was pretty clear that they needed to report the wet weight. And so basically it looks like the the very and so you see here um this is maybe a newer or an older certificate and they you know maybe they're just reporting one number here so so it's some something that that's may have may have changed over time but but long story short is i think florida wants them to report this number but i think they're also reporting this number because as yasha said if you're adjusting for moisture content, you're going to get a higher number, which on the face of it, there's nothing wrong with that. And the justification is often, I often hear it from the lab, people in the laboratory space that, oh, you know, dry weight is the standard measurement. Maybe that's true at a, you know, as a whole, but in the cannabis industry, I feel that typically I I see the wet weights. Um, and then as Yasha pointed out, the, the, the dry weight hinges upon the moisture content being correct. And so 
this is where you want to you know minimize your measurement error so so technically the dry weight is including any measurement error down here with moisture content and you know as yasha pointed out it's i don't know too much about the mechanism but it maybe you could explain more but it sounds like there's a way that producers can kind of gain this by maybe sending in super dried out flour but i have a question um and so i i never thought about this whole uh, idea about gaming the water i mean i realized that water content's important but i didn't realize that that was a mechanism that could potentially be used or you know yasha if you know um is there a lot of fudging around the water content as a way to, is that kind of one of the major mechanisms they're using to fudge the THC content or is that kind of an independent problem? Uh, what do you mean by independence? Oh, um, so let's say when consumers purchase good product, the product is around 9.6 to 10% moisture. Uh, the limit, in most states is 15% for moisture. And so if a lab was to um, inflate realistically, so let's say if both the grower sends in extra dry for, uh, product and the lab says, well, it's actually really wet product at near 15%, then they gain you know, 10%, not percentage points, but percent on their potency. Uh, but most labs that inflate inflate by you know fifteen to thirty percent. So, I from from what I see, uh, some labs do, but most take a different approach, a single approach through which they get the entire fifteen to thirty percent inflation. That was my question. So yeah. it's it's a method other than water content. Yeah. Okay. So, but there, there are, uh, just to put it out there, there's some labs where if you were to graph the results for moisture uh, in a histogram, you would see that somehow nearly all the flowers are right below the 15% mark and never over. So, but it's rare. What? Do you want to see? Oh, since uh, the topic came up, um, I guess we could do just that. Um, I could, I'll, I'll take a step back here in a second, um, because there's some other cool things to look at, but since that's what's come up in conversation, let's look at that real quick. Um, so actually as the data is loading here, I'll just do a quick introduction of, uh, of where that data actually came from. And then we'll look at this moisture content first thing. So long story short. We encourage people to, and actually there may not be much of it, um, because uh, as I would, so this is what you really want, right? This full page report, because you need things like the moisture content for these really um, intricate reasons. But you see, this is what you normally get. So if you say do a search for Kush, and you were going to look at one of these, chances are it's just the face sheet 
and so it was tested for moisture content we just don't know it what it was but we could actually technically back it out um so that may actually be an exercise maybe uh, i'll do that for next week but we could actually back out moisture content just given the face sheet um but anyways I was going to kind of show you a bit of the automation, but I think I may kind of just explain it and get to the data. But long story short is I wrote uh, an automation script to collect these results. And basically it just, just searches the results with um, various digits. Because I at first I was noticing that, oh, you could search for Kush. But if you notice all of, most of these if not all of the, the names just have digits in them and it all it actually looks like they may even be date based so it looks like you could even logically kind of search for these so basically what i did was just oh search for various digits um zero you know zero to 100 um or zero to 99 actually and then just download various pdfs um so um so once again i i will let you i think think of the, the the ethics behind the data collection but it's not against their terms of service and I'm just going to be just extracting the data from the PDFs. And I don't know, I felt like I was just being very polite with my data collection efforts, um, you know, checking everybody's terms of service and being very polite with my downloads. And then, you know, Microsoft and OpenAI come come along and like scrape the entire internet and uh, are now browsing every website with AI, and so I, I, I'm still going to be polite, um, but but long story short, we were able to find. Oops. Uh, so here's the Turf Life Labs ones. So long story short, we're I was able to find just shy of 2000 files um so you know here they are and it's just a smattering so we'll just look at one of these randomly um so most of them are just face sheets so first thing first was just to collect all of those and then i was going to try to parse them all with ai and then this is where I thought, you know, it's basically John Henry versus the steam engine. And so once again, if you're interested, I wrote uh, a parsing routine for these, but I always feel the data is more interesting than, whoops, I always feel the data is more interesting than the code. So I'm just going to spend the rest of the time looking at the data. But basically, if you're if you are interested in 
how you can go about say automating a website and parsing the results out of one of these certificates then you know the the code is on github so you can peruse that but there's it's actually nothing glamorous to it and in fact it's kind of an ad hoc method which basically I'm just going to do for the time being until we can really use AI. So it's basically, I almost feel like this is kind of helping our endeavors because if I just extract all this data the old fashioned way, just um, with various programming, if else uh, statements, then maybe that can be used to train an AI model in the future but don't have too much in the works there but i don't know um a lot of the work we've been doing builds on itself nicely and i don't know we've been really fortunate with some of the technology that's come out but anyways i'll i'll quit get being abstract and just be laser focused here on the data so what do we even have here? So long story short, it's basically just the same data that we saw on the certificate. So it's just things like the product name, the producer, the product type when it was tested. You know, you're 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 pretty familiar with all these data points. So let's let's start visualizing the data. So first things first, let's just count them. So this is just, and for some reason the the plots never take my style immediately. And so it does. It looks like you know to Terp Life Labs. It looks like they actually came online not that that long ago. Their first test, at least that's publicly available online, was from February of 2022. So, you know, they're, they've been in business for just shy of two years. And notice, you know, as any, you would expect any start startup, you know, they're not testing many and then it they looks like they increased their market share pretty pretty drastically and maybe maybe they had a spike in this month maybe just super good business this month and then maybe maybe this is maybe where they may kind of level off at and just keep in mind november's not done yet so this last data point is maybe not the you know the most indicative um so when you when you first see this chart and once again charts can be misleading you may think like oh no like you know terp life labs is about to shut down but i don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case right we'll see where november leaves them and you know it it's still the short run here um, but 
but long story short is I thought it would be a little interesting to just look at the statistics for one lab. Oh, ChatGPT was supposed to make this more beautiful for me, but uh, oh well. Uh, I love, you know, Yashu's normal approach of doing kind of cross sections of lab v lab. Unfortunately, we don't yet have that data in Florida. We have a, a bunch of COAs available for Keisha Labs. I just haven't extracted them yet. So there's almost 19,000 for Keisha Labs. So, you know, between these two, assuming every Terp Life Labs test is publicly available, which it may not be. This may not be the entire set of their tests. But Keisha does have, um, you know, about nine times as many r results available. But, but this is, you know, the first kind of interesting statistic where they're testing the majority flower but definitely more than I, I i mean yashi you may have a better um prior on this but this seems like a really high percentage of flower yep it is so uh, but, but uh just to add a, a note this is for one lab right exactly uh, it's typical that uh, labs, a, a market, should have a different look. Uh, individual labs may not, because there may be a lab that's offering, you know, higher potency for concentrates or uh, more in line with what clients want grow or manufacturers want for infused products. Or maybe they don't have the methodology for. Um, edibles or whatever else there, there may be lab specifics good good point and that leads naturally into this next chart which is you know what what producers are they even serving and there um this uh, i want to say uh this uh, a pop cut I think that may just be um, actually what may what's actually maybe more informative to do here is do this by license number. Um, here, one second here. The uh, one, two. Okay, so we'll have to to actually. I've actually got this here. So a pop guy is number 17. Zero 17. Okay, so that's sanctuary cannabis. Okay, so just to kind of put uh, the names to these. So, so these are the top clients of Terp Life Labs. So it, they're doing, they're like their number one client is Mav. The number two is Cureleaf. 
and then three is sanctuary cannabis and anecdotally i read on and once again this is a crappy uh anecdote well not crappy i guess i mean an, an anecdote's an anecdote um just keep in mind the source so it was from reddit but basically um all i read on reddit in the the mm the mj trees forum that that cure leaf was getting their edibles tested at Keisha labs and getting their flower tested at turp life labs and this very well may be the case so it could be that these are all flower samples just based on these two statistics we could estimate that this is around 78 percent but we could actually um we could drill down on that i'm going to skip that for right now just since we're we only have so much time left but we could check to see oh is cure leaf sending most of their flower here to turp life labs and then once we parse Keisha labs results we can see if oh maybe they're sending all their edibles there once again it just could be i mean that's you know how all people do business right if if one lab's really good at testing edibles you know you would send your products there if say terp life labs is really good at testing terpenes maybe you would send your flower there so it, it could just be it you know as simple as that um the main point I actually wanted to, to raise here is, Ruth, this is actually getting to where you get odd market dynamics. We were talking about how there's, you know, maybe hundreds of licensees in some of the Western states. I feel like that, once again, I, we've, we've heard of, you know, the California labs being a mess and I know, <laughs> at least historically Washington labs were rough and then but I wonder you know um in Michigan we saw a healthy number of labs and cultivators in Maryland we saw very few labs um and I don't remember how many cultivators were there the long story short i'll just get straight to the point my point here is terp life labs doesn't have very many clients you you could argue they really only have like three clients right they've got like mov cure leaf and sanctuary cannabis and i just feel like that may kind of distort some of the incentives because you know technically like the the labs are supposed to be independent of the the producer but it, i don't know i just feel like if most of your eggs are in one basket you have just a really really strong incentive to to appease these clients basically um I mean, 
Ruth, you may actually know this better than I do, but I mean, what would be the case if um, you know, one hundred percent of the tests for work for for one client? I guess you know it technically wouldn't be vertically integrated because they're they're separate businesses, but um, I don't know. You see you, you see that if you have like a small producer whose only client is Walmart, I mean, it's the same situation. They're, you know, they're captured by Walmart. And, you know, you can, it, I mean, that's a very interesting proposition. There was a, a very interesting study um, that I've relied on for stuff that I've done in California where these guys went out and they were looking at the labs and they were looking at like, how much it costs to set up a lab and how many tests they run and stuff. And it turns out kind of as you would expect that you essentially have the Pareto principle, which is you have a couple of a, a, a couple of large labs do the majority of testing in the state. And so it's like the 80-20 rule that 20% of the labs do 80% of the testing, that type of thing. So if in, you know, I pulled up statistics, there are eight licensed labs or nine licensed labs in Florida. And it's probably the case that, you know, maybe two of those guys are big guys. And you have a, maybe, you know, two or three that are medium guys. And then you have a bunch of little itty bitty guys. And those might be just mom and pop operations. And, you know, it's very likely that they only have a, a couple of clients. And in that case, as you say, they're, you know, it's hard. Um, it would be very hard for them to remain completely independent um, from uh, the interests of their customers. I think this is. Monopsony, yes. Exactly. So this is actually a phenomena that, like you've mentioned, the Walmart's a really good one. Um, one buy. Yeah. So it's basically the reverse of a monopoly. So if if all of your business is to one client, then it's a monopsony situation, and it's basically. What do what does ChatGPC say about this? Um, we'll need to study the efficiency of this uh, because I think that's uh, that's like an economics question. But long story short, is my sneaking suspicion is it may lead to odd incentives and odd outcomes <laughs> um once again there may not be anything necessarily wrong with it the case you described that oh walmart's your only buyer it doesn't necessarily sound like the worst thing ever right it sounds like you can make a good profit by selling to walmart but at the same time if they uh they have all the power in the relationship because they could uh well know, if you look at say well i don't want to i don't want to comment on walmart but if if you're looking at say rusk muv ruskin uh however you pronounce that 
if they're one of these guys who are trying to inflate their THC values and they go to uh, the lab and I forget the name here and they say, you know, we're looking for high THC scores, then that lab either needs to play or they're going to go out of business. So the, the client then dictates the ethics of the lab. Exactly. And that's actually the, the thought I had. Uh, I was taking a walk this morning and that's the thought I was having that let's say you you broke the rules and the consequences is you go out of business well what if the uh, the alternative is you don't break the rules and you still go out of business because the client leaves you so it it kind of it, it, i don't know it feels like the the client has a, a little bit of like power to like kind of encourage you to break the rules and it just depends on the probability that you'll get caught um, that's actually exactly what's been going on in the industry you have a lot of lot of labs have been going out of business because they they refuse to doctor the results and so you're seeing increasingly as the good guys drop out you're left with more corruption in the environment so, so I don't want to draw too much about it. I don't want to harsh too much on Terp Life Labs because once again, they they're they may be a startup just trying to do their best. So sorry to to to, to pick on them. Um, and I'm not picking on them. I'm just just using their data. And it, like I said, it's not necessarily um, it's not it's it's definitely not the end of the world. Um, but. I don't know. It, it just raises my eyebrows. Something to look at. Like I mentioned, whenever there's like two or three um, players, things get interesting. And normally that's on the production side. But I just thought this was a cool case to highlight that this is two or three players on uh, the consumer side of, uh, of the lab market. So of lab testing, these are consumers. But um, so, um, I think there's more here. So actually, next week I've got a bit more planned to to keep analyzing some of these lab results. I mean, whenever you get a cool giant data set like this, well, two thousand results uh, as far as terpene data goes, that's pretty large. Whenever you get a new data set, there's always so many cool things. And I just thought that this was interesting that, look, this is one of the most simple statistics we could calculate. It's a conditional count, right? The first thing we did was just count the number of tests. And then we just counted the number of tests by producer. And it's already raised a bunch of really cool thoughts and ideas. So, so I'm going to pick this up next week just to kind of tease what's coming up. I also have all the cannabinoid and terpene data. And just to kind of just toss a few more charts on you, just to, uh, <laughs> you know, give you a ton of visualizations for the day. These are just the same charts we calculated last week, but for Terp Life Labs, right? Because it's always interesting to look at one state versus, actually not last week, the week before. It's always interesting to look at one state versus the other. And once again, this chart's not too interesting. Well, it's hard to read, 
but it is an interesting chart where basically these terpenes aren't very common. Um, so that's one chart. And then here's another chart we looked at comparing, you know, beta pinene and D-limonene. You know, we looked at that in, in Connecticut. Nothing's jumping out at me too, uh, too dis different between this set and Connecticut until I looked at this chart. So once again, this is just the exact same statistic that we calculated the other week, where here we just look at just the diversity of chemicals in each product. So if a product just has THC, then it's, I think its diversity score is zero. But if it's got some THC and some CBD, then it's a little bit higher. And so it's basically all the different types of chemicals make make this um, score higher. With, what I find kind of interesting is that it, it peaks around the same time that their number of tests peak. Well, actually, maybe not. This, this peaks uh, in June. Um, uh, and this one actually peaks at a different point in time. Actually, so, the, so that's interesting. But long story short is, once again, it could just be that these early months weren't very representative. So maybe you can't really read too much into this trend. And it may just be that this is around the level of chemical diversity in terpenes in Florida. Comment. Um, you would yeah. expect to see a step, a step function there if they're learning how to test for, they're, they're being able to test for new terpenes over time. And Yasha can discuss this. And I know that in, in different states, they require different terpenes to be tested for but I imagine they need to figure out how to do that to, to detect them. And so, you know, maybe they'll start with a dozen and then move to say a dozen and a half, then maybe two dozen. I don't know, I'm guessing. And I yeah. think that, Yashin? Sorry, uh, in a chart that you showed maybe three or four ago where you uh, showed for each terpene, how often, yeah. This looks like uh, maybe the ones on the right were added later. Yep. And if, if this was by maybe by half a year broken out so that we see um, if only the ones on the left side were available up until a certain time. That makes a lot of sense. Well, well, well now my priors are wonky because I saw all that <laughs> the bad data from Connecticut because my prior was OCAM4 oh, is detected in 100% of samples. But that was because we had uh, miscoded data. So <laughs> well, that was coded the same way as THC, right? <laughs> exactly. So something that's not, not that relevant, but a little bit. Um, some labs rarely detect, so this, this speaking to cannabinoids, some labs rarely detect anything other than THC. Maybe it's from collusion. Maybe it's that they use methods that run faster, realizing that the only thing that matters is THC to sell the product. But something to keep in mind if you're going to be calculating not only uh, terpene uh, 
number of terpenes found, but also number of cannabinoids found. Well, if you classify all the metabolites as THC, that'll do it. I just realized how we could visualize this just slightly better, and then I'll, I'll let you all get out of here. If we, oh, this is, this is I'll, I'll work on it. Long story short is I realized that if we actually just rotated this abundance chart, then it would make it a lot easier to read the, the terpenes. Um, so long story short, I'll maybe, uh, I'll leave that for a, maybe an, either an exercise for you or I'll do it after the meetup and, and post that somewhere. And is this from one lab or is this from a full market? This is just Terp Life Labs. Got it. Because it, it would be valuable to compare their results to results from other labs because there could be co-eluting of different compounds into one. And if, if there is a lab that's able to distinguish between terpenes better, I'm not saying that they're not doing a great thing. They might be perfect at it, but co comparing labs may show something interesting. It's a great idea. Would it be too wild to compare them to a lab in a different state? Yep. No, no, not. That'd be a great, great thing to do. Yeah. The, the flowers don't know what state they're in. Okay. <laughs> well. well we could try to do both. As I was mentioning, I really do want to unlock the Keisha Labs results. It's a can of worms because they, they've been in business so long. They've got so many versions of their COA. Their COA has taken quite the journey over time. Whereas Terp Life Labs, right? They've just been in business two years. Their COA has barely changed over those years. So it was actually really easy to really easy to parse the data. It would also be very interesting to look at a, a particular strain within a lab over time or across suppliers, which we've kind of sort of discussed, but over time thing would be interesting. Exactly. In the time we did it, we only had like 30 data points. So <laughs> we should try it in one strain. We had one strain, 30 data points. So we can try to do a better job in that I think you know we'll that would that would be interesting to look at so as yasha said if they can if before they're estimating like one percent say beta caryophyllene and then later they're like oh that's really 50 percent you know uh 50 percent of that is beta caryophyllene and 50 percent of that is limonene um i don't know if that's the case but if that's what you're saying it would be interesting to see kind of if the totals over time were relatively constant while the diversity increased, that would be really cool. Ooh. Let, let's investigate. And this has raised a, a couple of good opportunities and questions to explore next week. Um, so I, I think this data set's rich enough that it's, it warrants another look next week. And I may be able to, I'll, I'll do my best. Maybe not all of them, but I'll try to add some Keisha Labs ones. I think we've got some terpene data from MCR Labs. And then we've got some terpene data from California. So 
this kind of goes to the similarity um, analysis. We can see which terpenes are being detected in various states. I wouldn't be surprised if some states are testing for terpenes that others aren't. Now, there's a complication that's really important to keep in mind, and that's the terpenes are heavily shaped by the grow environment. So if you grow the same strain in different states, it's natural. I mean, if you grow within the state in different locations, it can still vary too. So some of that variance or a lot of that variance is probably just due naturally to the grow environment, not necessarily any inaccuracies in testing. Well, I'll let the cat out of the bag because that's going to be actually the question for next week is in the Reddit forum on Florida, the terpene farnazine keeps coming up over and over again. And it's gotten a really bad reputation. And it's kind of funny because and I'll talk about it more next week, because most terpenes, right, are things that people seek out. But in the Florida market, people avoid farnazine. And if we you actually look at the data, it's in like 90% of samples. So it, it's there. Um, and just cursory research on the internet seems that, oh, it's a it's a chemical compound produced by certain plants. Um, they said it's in green apples and various um, aromatic um, oils and things. And it seems like maybe it's like an aphid repellent. And just the, the talk on the town in the Reddit forum is, you know, Florida, it's a humid, buggy place. And basically, people are conjecturing that you're seeing high amounts of farnazine because the bugs are, I mean, uh, the plants are getting eaten up by bugs. <laughs> uh, one, one more note to add, uh, standards manufacturers that produce the standards needed by labs to test for terpenes, uh, they, they are providing over time more standards, more terpene standards. So that, that would lead to the availability of that kind of testing. It, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and spill the beans. Basically, I think that's what happened in this case was basically, right, all the labs, they're trying to add, add, add terpenes, right? Oh, yeah, we can get this standard. We can get that standard. And then the they were like, oh, yeah, we can give you a farnazine standard. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, give us that, give us that. And then all of a sudden, you know, people in the market don't like farnazine. And I've, I've actually heard that, uh, once again, we can double check that, some labs may have even removed farnazine from their panel. And this goes back to the producer influence, um, the terpenes, a non-mandatory test. So Blue the producer situation. Yeah. So the producer probably said, Hey, like, like quit, quit <laughs> testing for farnazine guys. <laughs> so, but, uh, I don't know. I'm getting a good laugh out of it, but it just, this is where I just love marrying or merging science with folklore. You know, you just hear all these wild things on the town, like, oh, you know, this, this cartridge is a farnazine F-bomb, <laughs> you know, all these things. But, uh, and then you, you know, you always have people kind of conjecturing, but the, the scientific literature is super, super scant. And that's why I think it's a cool opportunity for us. I mean, almost just by 
measuring farnesine in cannabis, that's almost worthy of a whole scientific paper, right? I mean, people have written papers just about the concentration of farnesine in green apples. So, hey, write a paper about farnesine in cannabis. And then, and then Jillian, maybe you're not looking to write a paper, maybe you're actually looking to, to make a dollar. I'll let the cat out of the bag. There are people in Florida who really, really want to, you know, incorporate this COA data in various manners. So there's some big fish there. Tough to reel in a big fish, but the opportunities are there. So Jillian, where there's a will, there's a way. So feel free to either reach out to me or if you're ambitious, reach out to some of these large players in the Florida market. But on that note, there's going to be a ton next week. So I'm going to play up the next meetup in a big way. I'll be working hard on that this coming week. And I think we've got some cool data and statistics to uncover. As always, thank you all for coming. Thank you for bringing your brilliant ideas, your thank comments. Thank you very your much. Questions. Excellent. Thank you for advancing cannabis science, everybody.